0: One of the most popular ways that the New Testament speaks about the Christian life is as a walk. This shouldn't be surprising since Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. This summer at Holy Cross, we're looking at how we are called to follow Jesus. What are the distinctive practices of the Christian life? Why do we do those things? And how does the perfect and finished work of Jesus change how we approach living? Join us as we take a sustained look in the scriptures at The Walk. Good morning. good morning. The, uh, got to tell you, the, the, the lyrics to the songs, the scripts we read, set us up perfectly. And I love when uh, a well-crafted service comes together and sets us up for the, the reading and the preaching of God's Word. So I want to say thanks to Jason and the team there for that. It's, uh, it's sweet. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm, a, like Jason said, I'm one of the pastors up at Covenant in Harrisonburg, and so we're part of the same denomination. We're... Uh, Sister Church, we we pray for you guys, we love you guys, I recognize some of you, um, and I don't recognize some of you, which is great, which means you guys are reaching people, other churches aren't, and that's really exciting to have you here. And uh, so, glad you're here this Sunday morning. If if you look in your worship bulletin, or I'm sure what you guys call them here, uh, orders of worship or bulletin, okay, thanks Paige. it's a long passage, a really long passage, maybe longer than you've had before, and you see, one of my roles as a pastor who's preaching when your main pastor's not in the pulpit is to make you wish he was back up here, and so, <laughs> so you see that and go, man, when is Rick getting back, and uh, well, he's here, he's just not here, um, we're actually not going to read all of that together, we're going to go through most of that throughout the sermon, but we're going to read just a portion of that here at the beginning, let me give you a brief intro of, of to where we are in Daniel, and then we'll stand and, and read God's word together. Uh, this is in the time Daniel is, is a man of God who stands in the place and, and, and speaks into uh, both the, the, the Babylonians and, and to God's people, that the tribe of Judah. And and uh, this particular passage here in, in chapter 9, uh, Daniel prays on behalf of his people. And so you're going to see both uh, individual prayer and then also prayer, uh, a corporate prayer, as you guys prayed this morning, as we prayed this morning, uh, for a corporate entity, for the city. And we do that for for the city, we do that for nations and for the world. And we see Daniel uh, modeling that for us this morning as well. Uh, Judah had been taken away now, this is around 600 B.C. And uh, they're in exile, they're away from their land, and they're away from what God had promised them. Of their land because of their own rebellion and sin and so here now as we see Daniel's prayer, it's a prayer that guides us in how to pray to God uh, in lots of different aspects and one of the aspects of when we have rebelled and sinned and how to come back to him as our God who provides. Would you stand as we read? We're going to, in your worship bulletin, we're actually going to pick up in verse 3 which is the first sentence after that first break uh, that starts with, then I turned my face. So let's stand and read. Uh, I'll read from God's word. Verses 3 through 7. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, apply these truths to our lives. To the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story of a father who had six children and he took five of them camping. He had a sixth child at home who had some uh, severe physical needs, one of them being that she was uh, six years old and unable to talk. Uh, she was mute. And uh, as they were camping one morning, uh, the, the dad noticed his 14-year-old daughter looking on the ground frantically searching, and she had uh, dropped her contact lens. If any of you were a contact, you know what a frightening experience that is. Uh, You think, oh no (laughs) Either I'm not going to be able to see Or I'm only going to see half Or I'm going to have to put my glasses on Or I don't have my glasses You know, it's it's a frightening experience You don't like that And so she's frantically looking in the dirt Around the campsite for her contacts And so the dad walks over And kind of asks her And he helps us search And He says, you know what, let's stop And let's pray That God would help us find your contact And the 14-year-old daughter Started to cry And got really upset And said, why pray, dad? It doesn't work you see, this 14-year-old daughter is not one who's adverse to prayer. But you see, she'd been praying for years for her six-year-old sister to speak. And nothing was happening. And she's equating, my prayers are not being heard. Why pray, Dad? It doesn't do anything. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we often ask that question, well, why pray? I've been praying for this person or this situation or this nation or regardless, and nothing seems to be changing, so why pray? So we come this morning to kind of answer some of the questions of of why pray? What is is the purpose of prayer? And i got to tell you, it's not that we have a vending machine God where we get to insert the quarters and press what we want, and out comes the prayer answered exactly like we wanted. That's actually not the purpose. We're going to look at uh, maybe a reorienting of of prayer, of of what it does for us specifically, and then how we interact with God. And if you want to know some of the more intricacies of prayer... I'm going to refer you to the theologian in residence here at Holy Cross once he's off vacation. So, one of the th- three, here are the three things we're going to look at this morning. Uh, of why pray, what is its purpose? It orients us to who God is and what he has done for us. You could call that worship. It reveals the depth of our own sin and allows us to acknowledge it. So It's a safe place to confess and be completely real. And it presents us as needy and recognize God as the provider. We present our requests, our petitions. Uh, One of the things we we prayed and heard earlier was this idea of being dependent upon God. Prayer reveals that dependency uh, very, very starkly as we come before Him with our requests. Let's look first at this idea of worship, uh, of reorienting us to to who God is and and, and who we are, what He has done for us. Looking at just a couple of things that that Daniel says here in in verse 4 as he begins his prayer. He says, "O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Every time you see the word "Lord" in the Old Testament, and if it's in small caps, it's the, it's the term Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God. It, it's, it's a relational name. It's, it's the name that God revealed to His people during the Exodus. I am your God. My name is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God when He makes covenants. He uses his personal name. And here Daniel is invoking the name of a God who has made a covenant, promise to his people. He focuses on the personal name of God as he orients himself again to not a removed, far-off God who is like the, the clockmaker who sets the clock in motion then sets the clock down and walks away. That's not who God is. God is not a distant timekeeper. God is a personal, involved Uh, Great and awesome God as he'll use in just a second who is intricately and intimately involved in all that goes on with his creation and his people and here Daniel is invoking that name of this covenant keeping God he says you are great and you are awesome now the terms great and awesome we have dumbed down in our culture awesome this is not what Daniel is saying Daniel's not like hey man you're awesome you know Uh, That's that's really casual and not not at all what Daniel's saying. The the word great, there is a greatness to God. His bigness, His sovereignty, His omniscience, His power, His rule. God is great and over all. God's awesomeness, awe-inspiring, awe actually causing fear, a reverence fear. And Daniel's saying, you are both great and awesome in the way that you rule ...and in the way that you govern all things. And then he says this... ...who keeps covenant and steadfast love. He keeps his covenant and his steadfast love. God has made promises... ...and God will continue to keep his promises. He says, you are not a promise breaker. You have made a covenant and you will see it through. We are your people who are now bearing the consequences... ...of being covenant breakers. God, we're going to appeal not to our righteousness... ...but to your covenant-keeping nature... ...as the basis for your mercy. So Daniel starts his whole prayer out... ...by orienting or reorienting... Who God, uh, ...Daniel's view again of who God is... ...before he jumps into the, the body of his prayer. He starts out with... ...you are a personal, covenant, promise-keeping God... ...who is great and awesome... ...and you are worthy to be praised. He starts out with worship. Putting God properly where he belongs on the throne... And then rightfully so, we as those who then uh, must worship and give him praise for those attributes. You see, despite Daniel's circumstances, he orients himself to who God is. It would have been really easy for Daniel, being in exile, seeing uh, just the travesty that was going on around him with his people. Say, God, where are you? And there are times to cry out that too. It's okay. We're going through Job in covenant, a series through Job right now. And Job cries out that very thing. God, where are you? We hear Daniel in the midst of his circumstances saying, help us. He's reorienting himself to the rule of God. And Daniel appeals then to the covenant that God made with his people. If you, if you jump back to, you don't, we're not going to turn there this morning, but in Exodus 34, God renews his covenant with his people and says, The Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, who forgives the innocent and punishes the guilty, and Daniel's appealing to the covenant that God made with his people. He says, God keeps his promise, he is faithful and trustworthy. Now, there should be one phrase that scares us at the end of verse 4. It says that God keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Which one of us, or which one of you in this room, actually loves God and has kept his commandments? Well, it's not me. <laughs> Right here, right. None none of us, none of us have loved God fully. None of us have been perfectly faithful to keep His commandments. So, how can we appeal, and how can to that statement, and how can God forgive those? And how can there be a category of people that are called those who love God and keep His commandments? You see, Daniel is appealing to a truth of Scripture that God calls His people faithful, not based on our own works, but based on His provision that there is a category set up in the Old Testament to allow for God's people to be called holy and righteous and covenant keepers even when they were not righteous, holy, and they were covenant breakers. And it's pointing forward to the one who would do that on our behalf. You see, later on we'll look in verse 18, but it's helpful for this context. In 18, Daniel says this, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. And see, Daniel's hinting at it there. Daniel is not pleading on the basis of his own righteousness, his own works, his own goodness. He's saying, but it's your mercy. Again, pointing forward to there will be one, uh, that God will provide a way for us to be called holy and righteous and covenant keepers, uh, commandment keepers. It's not my own righteousness, but it's your mercy, God. You see, God's mercy is demonstrated in us not being cut off because of our sin and our unfaithfulness, God's mercy has demonstrated that we can be called covenant keepers. We can be called righteous because we inherit the righteousness of the true covenant keeper, Jesus Christ. You see, in Christ we have kept the commandments. In Christ we have his worthiness. In Christ we are called lovers of God, children of God. It's only because we have his righteousness that any of this makes any sense. So then prayer orients us to these truths as we learn to worship God for who He is and what He's done on our behalf. It's actually why we pray in Jesus' name. You guys ever notice that when we pray and we say, in Jesus' name, amen? Now, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you've heard this a lot and it just becomes kind of white noise. Or you've grown up in the church and, and you, you, you've grown up in context where Jesus' name is said like every other word. Thank you, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, And so it just, it, began, it becomes just another thing we say in prayer and we forget what we're actually saying. Or if you're unchurched and you hear us say in Jesus' name and you hear us pray that, you might think, it's just weird. And it is. Unless we understand the context of that. It's not like a radio sign-off. You know, We're finishing the end of our prayer. We don't know how to land the plane. So we just say... 10-4, good buddy, you know, in Jesus' name, right? That's how, that's how we, people know to open their eyes, right? In Jesus' name, amen. You have to do that. It's just kind. Well, there's actually more to that than just sort of closing a prayer. It's not the, the, the Bible didn't give us a format to say this is how you close it and then people know to open their eyes. When we pray in Jesus' name, what we're doing is we're evoking all of the attributes of Christ that are now ours, John fourteen thirteen says, and when you pray these things, ask them in my name. Because again, we don't come before the Lord saying, hey, I think I'm good enough. Please hear my prayers. No, no, no. We come in, with all of the righteousness that Christ has bestowed upon us. So when we stand before the Lord, we are standing, being represented by Jesus Christ. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we are evoking all of the attributes that are now ours because of what he has done for us. There are so many times that we pray that we think God will not hear us because we're sinners. If you're anything like me, there are times in my life, due to different behaviors or different actions or just laziness, I think, I can't pray now because my prayers are not going to be heard because God's angry with me. Do you know that you are called a child of God and you bear the righteousness of Christ? And when you come before the Lord, you come as one who bears the name of Jesus Christ. The Lord hears you. You see, if God only heard us based on our righteousness, he would never listen to us. But we have an audience in the throne room of God because we have access through our mediator, Jesus Christ. And that's what Daniel does here. Daniel appeals not to himself, but to God's faithfulness. He appeals to God's mercy, ultimately, which would be in Jesus Christ. Uh, Brian Chapel, who was the, the president of Covenant Seminary when I was out there, he, he wrote a book called Praying Backwards. And what he means by that is... Uh, we, st- we end prayers within Jesus' name, amen. And he says, Start within Jesus' name. Because what that does as you start in the name of Jesus. You say, In the name of Jesus, I am a chosen child of God. I am adopted. I am forgiven. I am now whole. I am redeemed. Doesn't that help you understand who you are when you come before the Lord now? You start with all that is yours in Christ. So as you come before the Lord, you don't come as a dog with your tail between the legs, you come as a child who is dearly loved. In the presence of the Father who loves to lavish good things on His children. We read that passage in Luke this morning. You who are evil, you give good things to your kids. How much more God, our Father in Heaven, will lavish good things on His children. It helps give us a proper perspective to our circumstances. Understanding who God is and what He has done for us is the foundation for us to stand in His presence. And then open up a, a safe place for us to confess our sins... And to then ask for the things that we need. Because we understand who we are and who God is. If it wasn't a safe place, we would never want to confess our sins. Not that God is safe. God is holy and just and wrathful. Just know that the penalty for your sins, if you believe in Jesus Christ, have already been poured out on the cross. And therein is the safe place of the gospel. That we can be fully known and fully redeemed and fully loved by God. Well, let's kind of look at, at, at the meat then of the middle of, of, this, of this cry out from, from Daniel as he then confesses his sins and the sins of the nations. We're going to look at verses 5 through 15. He says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land. I'm going to jump down to to verse 8. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, our God, by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets." There's a lot in there. But one thing we notice is, and we're not going to go through everything that Daniel says there, but let's look at a couple of things that he does in the midst of this. Daniel confesses specific sins. It's important to be specific as we admit our wrongdoings. He, in verse 5, says, We acted wickedly. We rebelled. We turn aside from your commandments. In verse 6, he said, We didn't listen to God's prophets who have warned us. Uh, our kings didn't listen. Our princes didn't listen. Our fathers didn't listen. Our entire nation didn't listen. Verse 7, he he cries out against Israel's unfaithfulness. Verses 9 through 10, he said, We rebelled against God and did not walk according to his teachings. And then in verse 13, he says, "We, We did not turn from our sin and gain insight from the truth. He acknowledges and confesses specific sins, both that he was a part of and both of what his nation was a part of. But then Daniel flips over that, and then he acknowledges God's righteousness and his goodness in his judgment of sin. In doing so, it leaves no room for uh, excuses or blame shifting. So, he confesses the sin, and at the same time, then, he acknowledges God's righteousness and justice in judgment upon those sins. In verse 7, he says righteousness belongs to God. In 9, he says compassion and forgiveness belong to God. And then in verse 14, this is where he declares that God's righteous judgment is good. He says, the Lord is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. And what had he done? He brought calamity upon the people of God. And Daniel is saying, he has done what is right. We deserve this. So he confesses his sins, and then he acknowledges that God is good and right to judge sin. You see, I think it's easy for us to confess our sins at times in a way that's shallow, in a way that leaves room for excuses. Think about this. You know, um, whether it's with your brother or sister, with your spouse, with your parents, the neighbor. Yeah, I'm sorry. S- sorry for what? Right? Uh, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> or I'm sorry that you feel that way. Well, no, that's, that's not really good enough either. <laughs> uh, there, there, was a, there was a time uh, I was sitting on the couch with my wife and John L., and I stood up to get a a glass of water or something, and I stepped on her glasses and broke them. And this was my apology. I'm sorry, but if you wouldn't have put them on the floor, I wouldn't have stepped on them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm sorry, sort of. (laughs) I'm sorry that you're angry at me now because of your stupidity, is kind of what I was saying. (laughs) And I think that when we confess our sins, often we're leaving that room for, I'm sort of sorry, I'm more sorry that I'm in trouble, or you're mad at me, or that I'm feeling the consequence of my sin, rather than sorrow over the the sin itself. Um, And my wife was gracious enough to point out the error in my theology at that point. (laughs) And, um, you know, and, and so we had to, you know, work through a real apology and and, uh, and, and they get to the heart of that. And, you know, when we stand before God, there are times when we stand there and we say, God, I'm sorry, but you gave me this spouse. God, I'm sorry, but you're the one who's keeping this job from me. I'm sorry, but my health just won't allow me to be as faithful as I should. I'm sorry, but... We need to stop that. You see, prayer gives us access to the throne room of God. God knows all of our ways. God knows all of our manipulations. And one of the beauties of prayer is we get to come before God without having to have any pretense and to stand before him and confess specific sins that really reveal our heart and the depth of our sin without having to pretend or cover up just exactly what we've done. Being specific helps us connect with the depth with which we've hurt either someone else or offended God. We often confess hoping to downplay or work around the severity of our sin. But see, Daniel doesn't do that And Daniel does not confess with that expectation that he's going to get off the hook. Daniel is confessing because he knows he has wronged a holy God. And there's a difference. Do we just confess our sins hoping that God will hear us and then change our circumstances? Or do we truly confess in prayer because we understand the depth of which we have wronged a holy God? What would it look like for us to truly take stock of the many ways that we've rebelled against God and confess it? And then, not only to confess it, but then to agree with God that He is good and right in His judgment. That's a hard part for me. It's not just to confess my sins, but then to say, and God, the consequences and what I'm reaping from my sin is actually a good and right judgment. And more so than that, God's good and right judgment ultimately was paid out on Jesus Christ. Am I appreciative of the fact that I don't have to bear the full weight of God's wrath because of the sins I confess? You see... Confessing our sins can be incredibly humbling. It can be incredibly terrifying. It can be incredibly freeing, though, at the same time. You see, prayer allows us to take an honest look at ourselves without any pretense or motives of self-preservation. And it gives us the freedom to be real. Where in your life, what relationship do you have, can you sit in front of somebody and truly confess the depth of your sin, the depravity of your thoughts and of your actions? without worry about what they're going to think of you or do to you or how fast they're going to run away. Prayer gives us access to a God who loves us and accepts us in the midst of our sin, not because of our sin, but again, because our sin has already been paid for on the cross through Jesus Christ. Prayer allows a safe place to sit in front of our Lord and be completely honest and broken and to come to the one who understands and who loves us in the midst of our sin. Prayer should be a place for us to cry out of the depths of our heart in the midst of our weaknesses. And here's the beauty of that. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hear that? When we confess our sins, know that we are forgiven. That God is not going to hear you. There's not going to be one particular sin you tell God. He goes, okay, I've not heard that one before. That one is weird. (laughs) Not going to cover that one. No. Christ died. God's own Son bore the wrath of our sins on the cross once for all. Past, present, future sins. When we come before Him, know that when we confess our sins, they are forgiven. God is faithful and just and has promised that very thing. It's an understanding, then, the forgiveness and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that gives us confidence, then, to move before Him to make requests Because you know if you, if you have a relationship With your parents If you are now a parent Think about with your kids If you don't have kids Just think about some authority over you And think about coming before them To make a request But you have been incredibly Annoying Or bad-mouthing Or you have been Just wicked or disobedient and now you're gonna come before them and ask for something what's your mindset as you go before them? either I gotta be a really good salesman or there's no way I'm gonna get this and when we approach God and we approach God in our own worthiness that's how we approach him I've gotta spin this so God likes the way I'm talking about it so then I get what I want but when we come before the Lord, as we've talked about, understanding who He is, what He's done for us, who we are in Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we come as sinners who are forgiven, as we've confessed our sins, understanding our right place with God is not based upon my works or my penance, but on what Christ has done for us. When we come before the Lord to make requests, we are making requests in the boldness and in the confidence of being represented by Jesus Christ. We are not having to spin it or sell it to God because God knows our hearts And he has given us an advocate to plead our case. As Daniel cries out, I'm not pleading this on my own righteousness, but on your mercy. And we have that in Christ. So as we look at this last section here, verses 16 through 19, we're going to look at what Daniel asks for. And and as I read this, listen to how bold Daniel is. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Your holy hill because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and take his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel's requests are rooted in God's character. It's all throughout his prayer. He says, You brought your people out of Egypt... For your sake, basically for your reputation, for the glory of your name, do these things. Again, we don't plead based on our righteousness, but on your mercy. His requests are made according to God's will and his actions. In verse 16 he says, uh, do this in accordance with your righteous acts. That's an echo of what, what God set up for us in the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus taught us. You know, he says, your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we pray according to God's righteous acts. We pray according to His will. According to what He will have done. That's why some of the times when we pray specifically for things and they don't happen, we have to ask and say, Lord, what is your will? Not my will, but yours. We don't always get what we want. But when we pray according to what His will is, which I got to tell you, we don't often know God will answer those prayers. God has given us His moral will in Scripture. We know what it means to be holy and right. We've been given that in the law. But God's directive will in terms of, should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I eat this food? Should I do this diet? Should I... God doesn't give a path like uh, what's that commercial with the green line for investing? You know, wouldn't that be nice if God's will, you, you become a Christian, you say I want to follow Your will, and immediately this like red carpet rolls out and you get to follow. Hey, God's will. We don't know God's will. We know His moral will. We know what it means to honor and be faithful. And then we have to trust and follow Him, and we come to Him in prayer, and we pray according to His will, and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we don't often know ahead of time until we're in it. If you want to know how prayer actually changes things and and God uses prayer, I'm going to refer you again to Rick once he's off of his vacation. Um, But Daniel's requests are bold. Daniel's requests are bold. Listen to what he says. Verse 16, Turn your wrath away. God's wrath has been poured out on the nation of Israel and Judah. They've been torn apart and now in exile. And he's saying, God, remove your wrath from your people. In verses 19, then, a series of just very bold statements. He says, O oh Lord, hear! O oh Lord, forgive! O oh Lord, listen and take action! And then he ends and says, My God, do not delay. You guys ever prayed those prayers? Whether it's for your own circumstance, uh, the illness of a loved one, a marriage that's in trouble, the crisis of a nation or around the world, and you, cr- and you pray, Lord, would you hear my prayers? Lord, would you forgive me or forgive this person? Oh, Lord, listen and take action. Do not be silent. And the prayer of God, do not delay. Please step in. And Daniel asks all of these things, and he prays with eager expectation. Do you bring your requests to God? Do you expect Him to listen when you do that? There are times when we just think He doesn't hear us, so I'm just going to stop praying. We read in Philippians 4 this morning, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're commanded as those who are dependent upon a loving Father to present our requests to Him. We might not get them answered exactly the way we want, but know that God, in some mysterious way, uses the prayers of His people. He ordains the prayers of His people to be a means by which He then enacts His will. I don't understand that! But that's what Scripture says, is God somehow, in His foreknowledge, has ordained the prayers of His saints to cry out on behalf of themselves and on others, so that those prayers would be the very means by which God would act. So I don't know how it works, but I know this. I should pray more. I should be on my knees before the Lord more if I believe that God actually uses our prayers. Daniel believed it, and he stood between his nation and the Lord, crying out. And ultimately, you know, the Lord acted. The Lord acted in the life of the southern tribe and restored them for a time. Maybe you think your prayers are too small. Well, I I don't have big things to pray for, so I can get by. I don't need to pray for small things. In a book called uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, he tells a story of his mom who is uh, 84 years old and was a missionary in London. And uh, they had heard from some pastor who was preaching, saying, um, you know, pray, but don't, don't bother God with trivialities. Don't bother God with lost contacts, or don't bother God with, you know, Lord, please help me get through the stoplight. You know, whatever, whatever you think might be too small for God. Don't, so they had heard this, and, and so the, the grandkids were coming to the grandmother saying, do, do you believe that? And so when they met for breakfast, and when I told her what this author thought about prayers for, for parking spaces, the, the author had said, don't, don't pray that you can find a parking space. Don't, don't bother God with that. Uh, this 84-year-old grandmother looked a little incredulous, cocked her head, started laughing and said how else would you find a parking place in London? <laughs> when I'm driving with my grandchildren in London they always say, Grandma, would you pray that we'd find a parking place? If you've ever driven in, in a metropolitan area, New York City um, Los Angeles, Chicago you better believe you're praying <laughs> for a parking space God tells us to bring our requests to him. There's a quote I think it's in your bulletin from J.C. Ryle. He said this We should believe that nothing is too small to be named before God. What should we think of the patient who told his doctor he was ill, but never went into particulars? What should we think of the wife who told her husband she was unhappy, but did not specify the cause? What should we think of the child who told his father he was in trouble, but nothing more? Christ is the true bridegroom of the soul, the true physician of the heart, the real father of all his people. Let us show that we feel this by being unreserved in our communications with him. Let us hide no secrets from Him. Let us tell Him all our hearts. So I would encourage us this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, take advantage of this unbelievable tool God has given us of prayer to communicate with Him, to orient us to who He is and what He's done for us, to provide an avenue for us to acknowledge and agree with the depth of our sin and to go to the one who can absolve that and say, you are forgiven and accepted and then take advantage of the opportunity to ask the one who's in charge of all things and through a word spoken can create and through his mighty hand he can move nations. Should we not bring a request to him? I'd encourage you to do this. If you wrestle with prayer, start small. Don't think you have to pray for 30 minutes at a time. Don't think they have to be eloquent or um, filled with lots of big Theological words. Just speak your heart. I would encourage you to be bold. Tell you what, God already knows your heart. You're not fooling Him. Be bold as Daniel was. Be persistent, like the story you read this morning. Continue to come with Him with the same request. Even if you think God is not hearing you, be persistent. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, your church, your nation, and your world. You see, God is faithful and He delights in the prayers of His people. And he uses the prayers of his people to change the course of history. Again, I don't understand fully how that works, but I know it's true. Daniel interceded on behalf of his nation. God listened and he restored his people. Will you use the access you have to God to pray for those around you? To intercede for your family and for your nation, for your city? I know that Holy Cross has a heart for Stanton and the greater augusta area would you pray and commit yourself to pray individually and as a church to continually pray that the light of the gospel would shine through the people the institutions the art whatever is produced in state and that there is a gospel flavor to it you see one of the greatest blessings we have to offer those around us is the gift of prayer the greatest tool and the greatest weapon and the greatest force of change Is that of a praying woman or man or child in the confidence and in the name of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Jesus, we do. We pray these things in your name, knowing that we, as your people, we bear the mark of a crucified and risen Savior, that we identify with the redemption that comes from a Savior who has taken our sins, has borne the wrath of God has suffered our punishment, and now risen in rules. So as we come before you in prayer, we know that our confidence is not in our own righteousness, but it is in our advocate, our mediator, Jesus Christ, who presents our case before God the Father. Teach us how to pray. May we use your prayer as a model. Help remove obstacles from our lives, whether it's tiredness, laziness, busyness, Uh, guilt or shame or whatever it is that's in the way, God, would you make us a people that pray? And may you hear our prayers and move and act for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.